The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. On today's show, we're going to review two matches this week. One of them uh, pretty good, and the other one pretty bad. Uh, and then we're going to review, uh, preview the game against Portland coming up this Thursday on July 1st. We'll also talk about player injuries, some transfer rumors, and a few other pieces of Austin FC news. I'm Landon Cottom, and I'm joined as always by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. Landon, we have another live show. On, we do. On Wednesday, I've learned that time exists in a weird space in the podcast world. So on Wednesday, June 30th, <laughs> at 6 p.m., we're going to be at 4th Tap uh, again. Adrian Healy will be joining us, which still blows my mind that we can like send Adrian Healy an email and he says yes to things. I just I don't get it, but yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's very it. cool. It's very cool. I turned on, I don't remember what game it was. Maybe it was LAFC Sporting Kansas City or some MLS game the other day. And it was like, oh, it's my friend Adrian Healy doing the broadcast <laughs> there. <laughs> so I heard this rumor that Adrian's going to cover the first Columbus game at their new stadium, which is a bit... Is he of, really? Uh, yeah. Yeah, wow. that's, that's what I just read that read that in Slack. And if it happened in Slack, it must be true. But I thought that was a little interesting twist to that whole saga. But yeah, y'all come out and join us at 6 p.m. on Wednesday, the 30th uh, with Adrian uh, Pam Cato, who we've interviewed before from Craft Beer Austin, will be hosting it. Um, and you can listen to us talk and enjoy craft beer and have a good time. And one thing I want to stress is we're calling this a live show, but we are very likely not going to be recording it. And so you We'll not be able to watch it from a stream and we'll not be able to listen to it later. And so if you want to like see it or hear it, you'll have to come hang out with us and not listen to it later. Yeah, that's that that is very true. And one other thing, the one we did at the W was a little was very like one oh one. And I imagine that the fourth tap uh brewery area crowd may ask a bit more sophisticated questions. So if you're into all this, like come on down and ask us the hardest question you have and we'll punt it to Adrian. Yeah, if nothing else, just like heckle us or ask us intentionally hard questions to watch us sweat yeah if you're true friends that's what you'll do okay jeremiah i don't really want to do this but should we talk about the midweek game against minnesota we should talk about the most depressing experience that i've had as an austin fc fan <laughs> so far i think in terms of games yeah so um ended up losing two nil on wednesday to last wednesday to minnesota there were some last minute lineup changes so Alex Ring, last minute, it seems like they announced the starting lineup. Alex Ring was in it. And then five or 10 minutes before the game starts, I saw the Austin FC Twitter account post like an update saying like, never mind, Ring's not playing and Lil Sebastian is starting today. Uh, Matt Beasler is also out. We found out later it was a, a foot injury that he sustained in the previous game that just like not gotten better. So the starting lineup ended up being Stuver in goal. And we had... Lima, Romagna, Cascante, and then Aiden Stanley at left back, which I think was that one was planned just to rest Kolmanich because he's I don't think he's come out of a game since uh since Ben Sweat's injury. Then Fagundes, Burhalter, Pochettino in the midfield, then Redes, uh Cecilio, and Manny Perez. And Manny Perez was actually playing at the striker position to start off with. I think him and Cecilio ended up kind of switching around some later on, but uh, Perez, who is not a striker, was starting at the number nine in that game. Uh, so to start off with, it was, I think we had maybe some, a few like early bright moments 
but not a lot went on for us early on. And then ninth minute, Nick Lima goes down, not touched, grabbing the back of his leg. Pretty easy to assume it was a hamstring injury. That was uh, that was confirmed later on. And then it just like went downhill from there. And uh, yeah, I think one minute later, Franco Fragapane um, scores a goal inside the box. Uh, nothing that Stuver could do. I think maybe the defense was maybe a little sluggish, could have put more pressure on him, but it ended up being a really good finish. In the 18th minute, uh, Adrian Hunu uh, scored a header. That was off of a corner, wasn't it? I believe it was, yeah. Either a corner or a set piece. I think it was a corner, though. Um, but second goal there. Uh, in before those goals and after those goals, Minnesota was in complete control of this game. It Austin never looked like they had a prayer, <laughs> and they looked tired and sluggish, and the positioning was bad and. Uh, it was just not a fun game to watch. They played very poorly. Yeah. And I, well, I want to give you a little credit, though, because uh, I think in the preview show, you talked about Frecapane being a difference maker, and he definitely was for sure. He was, looked like the best player on the field um, against us last week. Yeah, for sure. The, him and Hunu have come in and made immediate impact on that team. So um, I know a lot of people had really high hopes for Minnesota early on in the season. And then after the first few games, they maybe had not so high hopes, but maybe those hopes are getting higher now that they have a a competent attacking uh, attacking set, which hopefully uh, like gives us. I was gonna say it gives us hope, which we'll talk about this later. Yeah, maybe, of course. Maybe yeah. adding <laughs> a competent attack will make a difference for a certain team in our in our home city. Yeah. Um, some other notable moments in the 29th minute: Michael Boxall, who. I didn't know this about him until that first game that we played them and then watching this one confirmed it, but he's, uh, I don't know how to say this without cursing, but he's like, anytime there's like some little extras going on, Boxall seems to be involved. And so I think there was a ball in the air and Boxall ends up putting Cecilio in a headlock and pulling him down to the ground. Uh, and then, seems like for no reason, just like karate chop chokes Cecilio for a second upon replay. I think Cecilio's hand might've been in between uh Boxall's legs. <laughs> and, uh, I couldn't see his hand, didn't know what he was doing, but it was probably not anything nice. Uh, but I think that's why Boxall karate chopped him. Do you think that should have been, I think it should have at least been a yellow. Oh, I think it should have been a red. Yeah, I think, I mean, it was retaliation because I don't, you know, like the ref didn't see what was going on um, on the bottom of the pile there, but it was, it was pretty aggressive. It was blatant too. I mean, it was in the, right in the middle of the pitch. It wasn't like there would be people, people, you know, it was in the corner and people couldn't see it or whatever. Yeah. I'm, my only guess is either the ref didn't really see it and didn't want to make a call based on something he didn't really see, or he also saw what Cecilio did, or they told him what Cecilio did yeah. and they're like, okay, we're just going to call this one even. <laughs> So I would like to talk about that tactic because I think in one of the Cecilio's like set in striker slack, they talked about that being like an old soccer thing in the, in the pile to, uh, Oh, I don't think I saw that randomly one. grab. Oh yeah. Yeah. Some, somebody in striker talked about it. It's like, Oh, that's your average, like trashy weekend, like soccer player thing is to like when a group <laughs> goes down, 
Let's go ahead, go ahead and grab and send a message. So we do not endorse that. That's that's all I wanted to say about that. <laughs> we don't endorse it, but I'm going to laugh when it happens. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, in the 31st minute, I think this is probably the closest chance that we got. Well, no, there was there was a chance, I think, in like the 7th minute where um, where Pochettino almost scored. But in the 31st minute, Fagundes almost sneaks one in to the left post from outside the box. Uh, I think it was a corner got deflected and fell to him outside the box and he hit it. And it was, it was a good shot. If the keeper hadn't saved it, it would have slotted right into that corner, but ended up, ends up getting saved. Um, and then in the 33rd minute, Unu scores another goal, but ends up getting called offside. And upon the replay, he was like four yards offside. So it wasn't even close, but uh, it was still a product of them just like slicing through us and pull us, pulling us apart with ease and then opening that space up behind. So um, I, there wasn't a, there was some other chances, but not a ton else happened after that. N- not, not anything we're spending a lot of time on anyway. Um, what are some of the, some of the like lessons learned or like stories coming out of the back end of this game, Jeremiah? Yeah. I, for me, I think, well, we had this debate on that, on that night on whether like we gave on whether Josh Wolf gave up in the second half. And I think that was, an interesting story like watching it live I felt like they just kind of quit near halftime um and I don't know if it was just keeping Rodney Redis on We're, we could talk about players too but I mean you know when uh they were bringing people in and uh in the attack the fact that Redis was on the field the whole time just felt like Josh was saving it for saving what he could for Sunday and I I did not love that I was disappointed in it and yeah and so one thing we didn't mention is they brought Cecilio off at halftime and he didn't play the whole second half. I know I know that pissed a lot of people off. Uh I I didn't mind it at all. I didn't did not mind it. I um I think I understand the the sentiment of like thinking this is a losing mentality or just like giving up. But given the circumstances, this team has beat the hell up and already resting players, already had players injured we lose a player in the ninth minute to an injury. If you look at the players who we had unavailable going into the Columbus game. So the injury list, I mean, it's been sweat, Aaron Schoenfeld, who are guys we already knew. Ulysses Segura is not on there, but guys who like we were expecting to play that were maybe not going to play coming into Columbus. It was Nick Lima, Alexander ring, uh, Matt Beasler, Pereira was uh, Wolf said that he was fit enough to be on the bench, but not fit enough to start. And so five or six guys that like should probably be starting that were not available to start. My thinking here is, okay, we look terrible. We're already losing this game 2-0. We're beat up really bad. We're tired from playing this midweek game. I'm fine with pulling off Cecilio and sitting him. I'm fine with leaving Rodney on because I, I, like I said, I get like the waving the white flag, but I also, if you just think about kind of like the sports science part of this, uh, Dave Tinney is doing, it's his job to kind of track these guys minutes to track these guys workloads and figure out how much they're able to do in a week, in a, in a day. And he's telling Josh Wolf these things. And so I think he probably already had 
a plan to kind of limit some minutes. I imagine he would have brought Cecilio off early anyway. And probably the fact that we were down two nil made it the 45th minute instead of the 60th minute. But, um, I, yeah, I, I think in a different set of circumstances, I would have also been mad at that tactic, but the fact of how bad of health shape that we were in, in that moment, I was, I was fine with him kind of like throwing in the towel and saying like, okay, let's just not get anybody else hurt because we literally can't afford to have anybody else hurt going into this next game. Yeah. So do you think I mean, we, we've got some of the stats here in front of us and actually like if you look at X goals and, and whatnot, you know, it was pretty even possession wasn't too far off. You know, Josh talked about how they played in the second half and played better. Do you feel like it's a case of the stats not telling the story or do you think we were just overreacted? Like I, watching that game live, I felt like they were awful and outmatched from start to finish. And the second half was better than the first only in terms of they somehow miraculously didn't get scored upon, but they never really looked threatening and they never looked any better. So, um, I mean, what do you think about that? Do you think that, that do the, do the numbers lie on this one or were we just like overreacting as fans to our impressions about what Josh was doing? No, the, the numbers are lying and it was okay, a terrible good. game. <laughs> okay. It was a terrible game. I agree with that. So I, I looked at the expected goals again. I think, um, Pochettino's chance really, it was in the, within the first 10 minutes I think that one alone was almost at a 0.5 XG. And so that accounts for half of that there. And then we got a few other like very low, uh, low percentage shots later on that kind of added up to that 1.1. But no, I I don't think the, and then possession, we are, it was close to 50, 50. Uh, A lot of that was in our own defensive half, just kind of passing the ball back and forth. Um, not a lot of like meaningful or useful possession in the attacking third. So I think this is a case exactly what you said of, of the numbers lying for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about a couple players before we move on to the sort of the rest of the week and uh, the better half of the, these two weeks games. And I want to talk about defensive midfielders that we had, you know, one who didn't, well, one was Aiden Stanley at some point, right? Which we Aiden don't need to spend a lot of time on, but... 20 or 30 minutes in central midfield. <laughs> yeah, that kind of shows the kind of game we have. But Burhalter, I feel, is a little bit the same. I mean, people seem like really down on him just on, on Twitter and whatever after the match. But then, again, if you look at the numbers, it seemed like he had a pretty solid performance. So what, how did you feel about the way he played? Yeah, I I think like eyeball test, he did look a little bit nervous and a little uneasy at times. I think mostly when moving the ball forward and he like, Played it safe a lot of the times when when in possession. Uh, but looking back at his stats, defensively, he had some really good numbers here. So six tackles, six interceptions, one block. And then and this is from whoscored.com, but they had his match rating as a 7.55, which is like getting into like in some games like man of the match territory. Like if you get above an eight, you're probably the best player on the field, but which is definitely not the case here. But um as far as just like statistics go, he had a pretty good night. I think most of those, like I said, are on the defensive half, but he did some some useful stuff um, offensively as well. I think it's one of the, just like his inexperience and um, I, Josh Wolf talked about in the, the press conference after afterwards saying that like when you play a young guy like that, you would prefer to have some experience next to him. 
and we didn't really get to do that because <laughs> it was like Diego and, and Pochettino were in there, but um, at the end of the game, like we said, Aiden, it was Aiden Stanley and, and Burhalter in a double pivot playing next to each other. And that's probably not the ideal scenario to put either of them in midfield. Um, but I think overall, I, th- I think he had uh, a pretty good game, some, some bright spots, but if it were a game that we were like actually going after, which it didn't really seem like we were, I don't, I think maybe he would have been exposed a little bit more going forward. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I did see some people thinking he had a bad game and I, I don't really think that was the case. Yeah. He did the best he could given the situation. Yeah. And Josh did talk about adjusting their tactics, you know, a little bit knowing that, which they had to do on the fly. Right. Cause like we talked about it, it, we only knew like 10 minutes before the game that that was going to happen, but he talked about keeping Diego back. So Diego Fagundes again, covering miles and miles of field in this match. And the guy, he looked tireder against Minnesota than I've ever seen him look, but then he bounced right back too. And we'll get into that, but that, that was really impressive out of him. And then, yeah, go ahead. Talking about Diego, that was another criticism that I saw some fans giving Wolf and was like, you cannot play Diego more than, I don't remember what minute he came out, but again, it would be irresponsible to play Diego more than 65, 70 minutes in this game. You like, he was completely dead at the end of of the San Jose game. And then, you know, like, because we're so short on midfielders, you know, you're going to have to use him against the crew. And so I, it's, regardless of whether or not we're trying to win that game, you cannot leave Diego on the field. And so again, I had no problem with him pulling Diego early on that game. Yeah. Let's talk about the guy who played the whole game. That's Rodney Redis who appears. What is it? Run, run with no purpose up and down one side of the field for 90 minutes. Uh, How did you feel about his, his performance? Uh, So I, I saw some people say this and completely agree, but I think maybe it was Chris Wellhausen that said on Twitter is like, I could, I forgot he was on the field. Like I did not remember that he was even playing. And I think that's probably sums it up right there. Like he was pretty invisible for a lot of the game. And then when he did get the ball, didn't really do anything useful with it. I think he got one quote unquote shot off. That was like 50 yards over the post and then put a cross in that kind of did the same thing, like skied it over and wasn't close to anybody. Um, yeah, really, really disappointing outing from red I, I really want him to succeed. And especially after how good he looked in preseason, because if you remember back in like preseason stuff, I wasn't very high on red and a lot of other people were, and then he had like a really good preseason and scored some goals and looked really dangerous and then once the season started, he had that little injury and then was out for a little bit. And that's when Stroud kind of took over that position and made it his own. And since then, when Redis has been on, he hasn't looked very good at all. Yeah, and Josh talked about the injury too. And I don't know if he was just like trying to provide Rodney some support by pointing that back out. But he he did say he basically hasn't gotten back to the same place he was in preseason um, because of the injury. Um, And then so... I think Mark Turner asked about uh, asked Josh after the game about uh, Pochettino and free kicks, um, and Josh said if if there was anything around the goal, he'd be on the ball. But we just haven't created those opportunities at all. Yeah, yeah. Mark Turner kind of posed the question like, why haven't we seen Tomas on free kicks? And Josh was essentially like, we're not getting them in the areas where where like 
he would it would even be a shot, right? And so like we don't we have other preferences on like free kicks that are going to be crosses instead of shots. But he's like, yeah, absolutely. If we get one that's in shooting distance, that's Tomas's territory, and he's going to take them. And then we got a, a question on Twitter today from Gabe Kirchner, and he said we seem to have a conspicuous lack of dangerous free kick opportunities outside our opponent's 18-yard box. Why? Are teams avoiding fouling us because of Poch's reputation, or are we not taking defenders on, or both? And I think the main part of it is that we're just not getting the ball into those areas. Like the they call it zone 14. So if you get into like really nerdy soccer tactics stuff, like Pep Guardiola level stuff, they actually divide the field into a bunch of little boxes. And what is called zone 14 is the area right above the 18 yard box, like right on the top of the 18 yard box. And it's the most dangerous part of the field that you can get the ball into. And Austin just doesn't really get the ball there. And so that is where you would want Tomas Pochettino taking free kicks. But because we don't really get the ball there in general, we're not going to get fouls in that area either. So we already kind of went over the stats here. Is there any other uh, narratives we want to cover from from this game? No, let's get let's get on to the Columbus week or the sort of the narratives in between. Um, I think injuries were obviously a part of it. Um, or what we thought, I guess, I guess we thought injuries were going to be, be a bigger part of it than they were, right? I know two days before we looked at the injury list, which I think you have, and I guess go over that. I was very depressed about how bad we were going to get blown out. Because, yeah, Josh Wolf in the press conference acted like, I mean, he, we knew Limo, like a hamstring, you're not going to pop back in a few days. He's probably out for a few weeks at best. Uh, so he's out, but then he was like, yeah, ring is questionable like may not be able to go at all Beasler may not be able to go at all and so we were thinking we're gonna have literally two midfielders on the entire team and like are we gonna have to play Aiden Stanley in central midfield are we gonna have to play Hector Jimenez in midfield if we play Hector there who's playing right back and it was just a complete mess and I was very nervous about it (laughs) yeah I was too I think it was uh I think there were people suggesting lineups and then yeah, Chris Bills asked that midfield question. It's with remember if you want to start Hector there, like you've got to you gotta find something else to fill in. So luckily it turned out to not not be that dramatic. I think the other two big things in between were obviously Columbus Austin Twitter beefs, um, which I <laughs> probably weren't as big as I thought they might be. I mean, the small group of people that fight all the time managed to find yeah. a way to fight all the time. And we should talk about Chris Bills kind of being inserted into the middle of that or or being a part of the middle of that? Do you want to yeah. cover that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So he went on... So was that on Top Flight or We Are Austin yep. TV? It was, t- it was Top it was Flight. Top it was flight on Top Flight, flight Pod. Okay. Yeah. But, they, but um, it, was the, yeah, it was the clip they pulled and put on YouTube out of that whole interview. Right. Yeah. So, so Chris Bills went on Top Flight Podcast and did like a whole episode... And some Columbus folks went and pulled a video clip of him saying one thing that made a lot of Columbus people angry. And he got a lot of heat on Twitter over this last week. And you were saying that it was less than you thought it was good than you were expecting. I think it was way more than I was expecting. And that's probably my mistake. (laughs) Yeah, I guess it was just overall outside of that Chris thing. There was not a lot of general drama among the Columbus fans. Other than that moment. Yeah. One thing I'll say about the uh, 
what all the heat that Chris was getting. Chris Bills is a professional journalist. He's very good at his job. He takes his job very seriously. If he says something publicly and on the record, it's because he has enough corroborated sources and he's heard it from enough enough trustworthy sources to believe that it's true. He's not going to like he's he would be putting his job in jeopardy if he were throwing around rumors willy-nilly. And so I th- I saw like even Austin people like saying like, oh, why is Chris getting caught up in all this stuff? And it's like, if he said it, then he has enough information to believe that it's 100% true. And so I, I just thought it was worth throwing that in in defense of Chris because he is not, uh, he's not just trying to stir the pot or like try to piss off some Columbus people. Anything he said on that podcast, he also came on our our podcast a while back and talked about the Columbus stuff. And in in the course of that, he also will criticize Anthony Precourt. He'll criticize the way Austin FC, like the Austin FC folks handled that whole thing. And during the Save the Crew stuff, he asked a lot of questions of Anthony Precourt and company that they did not like. And like Chris Bills was not always on their good list. It's questionable if if the main journalist writing about your team is ever going to be on your good list. But, <laughs> right. um, but Chris Bills pissed off Austin FC people simply for the fact that he was doing his job and asking questions that they didn't always want asked. And so I think for people criticize again, criticizing Chris for tr- like being an Austin Homer or anything like that, not the case. Um, yeah, he's, he's a true professional. Yeah. Yeah, he was. And he did a good job. Like on the whole, I listened to the whole interview and he, he did throughout that. And it was, it's always kind of wild to listen back to some of those things and to be very happy that we don't have to worry about all this political stuff before. And I, I, another thing I thought was interesting was the way that coaches sort of address it. So Caleb Porter's like, yeah, this is circled like twice on the calendar and <laughs> these fans, like I know what these fans care about and we hate Austin and blah, 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 blah. And Josh, I think he got asked twice about it during the press conference uh, before the game and just said, you know, we're focused on what we have here and not what we have in the past. Talked about Dallas and Houston against eight rivals and really was trying to take the heat out of that rivalry too. But I think that makes sense sort of given the perspectives from the cities. Yeah. Given the dynamics, I think Porter would be the one more free to say stuff like that. And so, well, yeah, given, I, I thought who they be... are Landon too, given like their personality. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Porter doesn't Porter will, you, you can't make him stop talking really. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, all right, so we're gonna get in, like we said, we're gonna get into the the more fun game of the week. But first, we're gonna take a quick break. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FEF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. One of the things they do with the club that we haven't talked about is they have this uh, campaign called Kick the Keys, which is a designated driver campaign. And so for those of you that are going to Q2 and have the tendency to, like all of us, want to like have a beer or two before or after the match, like one, use transit or route plan, or two, like find a designated driver. There's lots of other options out there besides driving so listen to our friends at fef and pass the keys to somebody else absolutely 
You can go to fbf.law to find out what makes FBF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's fbf.law. All right, let's get into this uh, recap of the Columbus Crew match. So this ended up being another very exciting nil-nil draw, which sounds kind of like an oxymoron, but it's been two weeks in a row. Both of the games at Q2 Stadium have finished scoreless but have both been very exciting games yeah they've both been very yeah super exciting super emotional so before we get into the game um too much because i feel like we did not talk about this enough last week uh you know last week the san jose match had that amazing like austin tifo oh yeah we covered we covered very briefly but like i went back and listened i'm like we did not exactly give the respect to the 200 (laughs) people in month that it took or whatever Katie Ensign pointed that out uh, to us, to me too that we didn't do that. But this week uh, there was a really cool pregame thing from the fans too, and I'm wondering, did you post that from the account like the the rainbow uh, I did. card? Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, I posted photos this morning on the Moon Tower accounts. But yeah, it's uh, and it was a different kind of tifo. It was like the mosaic style where everyone's holding a different card in the right spot, and it spelled out ATX in like a big like rainbow array essentially it was it was really nice it looked really great from our seats we were over like midfield on the upper level so it looked really great from over there and then saw a lot of other pictures from other spots in the stadium that looked awesome yeah that yeah that looked really cool and we uh, like we don't have we're right next to supporters and we got word that the top uh right corner the the red corner might not be very good so we ran upstairs and like each held up two cards to help fill in that section too so <laughs> It's a little bit of like last minute participation, but I appreciated that. But yeah, the pregame stuff again was good. Gina Chavez uh, did a great job of the national anthem. Um, you know, it's was, it was Pride Week, so I was really the atmosphere again was amazing, and it made for an exciting nil nil draw. Uh, yeah, for two weeks in a row. Again, before we get into the game, mentioning Pride Week, I think this is one of the things that I'm like most proud of this uh, this supporter culture is bringing the kind of energy and the kind of atmosphere that that supporter section brings, but at the same time being like radically inclusive and radically like uh, democratic and bringing everyone in, letting people's voices be heard in that group. I think it's a thing that you might find one or the other of those things in a lot of uh, supporters groups around the country, but very rarely do you get both of those things. And I think it's super cool that that uh, Austin has been able to build both of those cultures under the same umbrella. So uh, I, I thought that that TIFO kind of embodied that and was like, I don't know. I, I just really liked seeing, seeing that like insane, crazy supporter section also showing like this big, like message of solidarity in that moment as well. So that was really cool. Yeah, that, that was. All right, let's jump into the game. So uh, again, we were talking about the, uh, injuries, the, we were expecting ring to maybe not play at all. Beasler to not play at all. The lineups come out and ring and Beasler are both in the starting lineup. And so we end up getting like not far from a best starting 11 with, I mean, with the players that we were expecting to have anyway, uh, we had Jimenez at right back, um, Beasler and Cascante at center back, Kolmanich left back, and then ring Pochettino and Fagundes in the midfield. Then the front line was Gallagher on the left, Cecilia in the middle, and Stroud on the right. And so whenever that lineup came out, I was like, whoa, this is way better than I was expecting. And so 
I already had like my expectations were pretty low. I was not expecting this game to go very well. But then when that happened, it, like gave me a little bit of hope. I was like, okay, I think we can maybe do this now. Um, I think it was this, that was the story of the whole. Yeah, that's the story of the game, right? Every every moment, I'm like, oh, it's getting a little bit better and a little bit better, and yeah, <laughs> um, you know, it almost turned out to be great. But yeah, that 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 was very rewarding. Other than Lima, you know, which we knew what was going to play. That's that's basically our best eleven at this point. I feel like yeah. And yeah, we'll we'll talk more about the like what our best eleven maybe is here in a little bit. But uh, twenty seconds into the game, Diego Fagundes almost scores a goal. A, a ball gets kind of crossed, uh, played played into the box. It bounces about waist high. Diego is unmarked in the box and kind of he has to play like a. It's like waist high, and so he has to like lift his leg up and kind of do like kind of a scissor kick or like a like volleys it a pretty high ball ends up pushing it wide. Uh, but that would have been amazing if we could have scored 20 seconds into that game, that would have been, uh, like again, I, as soon as that first goal goes in, Anthony Precourt is going to have to spend another $260 million on a stadium because that one's going to explode and it's not going to exist anymore. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that would almost happen 20 seconds in. Um, I think early in the game, uh, we were possessing the ball really well, moving the ball really well. Uh, Columbus's center backs were marking Cecilio really tight. And so Vormgor was anytime Cecilio would drop in and kind of playing that false nine role and dropping into the midfield, the center back was following him. And so Cecilio didn't really get on the ball a lot early on. He ended up building into the game. And as, as their defense got a little more tired, he got on the ball a lot more. But early on, they were doing pretty good at keeping him out of the game. But we were still, like I said, possessing and moving the ball really well. It reminded me of some of those first few games when we were out possessing teams 60-40 pretty often. Uh, and then defensively, midfield pressure was really good. The energy was really high. And it was Columbus had a really hard time passing through us and moving through us very often. So uh, really promising for a lot of that. Uh, I think in the 32nd minute, there was a moment where um, maybe Stroud didn't make the best decision he was driving in at goal from deep. He had Cecilio in space at the top of the box. And instead of playing that ball in, he takes a couple more touches and shoots. And do you, do you remember that moment, Jeremiah? I do. And somebody posted, I think I saw on Twitter just before we started recording, like uh, the, the, the picture of that from the broadcast, it was over the top of the, you know, over the field. And like, it was, from overhead, it was super obvious about what the better decision would have been. Yeah, and looking at that, I think Stroud was either afraid to make that pass or he was being selfish and wanted to score the first goal. And either way, like, that's not very good. Like, it's <laughs> it's not great, either of those options. Uh, I thought Stroud overall wasn't clinical enough. I think he got released into dangerous spaces pretty often and was rarely able to do much with it. Um, so I didn't think he had a great game. Um, one of the most dangerous moments of the game against us was in the 42nd minute. Harrison Offal puts in a low cross into kind of like right into the six yard box. Stuver has to come off the line but it was kind of an awkward thing. He didn't know if it was going to take a touch or not. And so he he blocks it from Zardes, who is running to the back post, but the ball kind of pops up and bounces once in front of goal. 
and Cascante is able to like kind of work his way around it and clear it. And watching that live, I didn't realize how close to goal it was until Cascante hit it. And I was like, oh, I should have been way more nervous right there. But watching it back on uh, on the TV replay, it was, yeah, a very nervy moment. But Cascante did well there to kind of take his time and not not panic. Or maybe it could have turned into even an own goal at that point. But he, he did really well there. Yeah, and, they, and it's, again, the center back pairing. Um, no matter who they are now among the three, seems to be making a lot of good decisions. Like Cascante and Beasley are both... Really good. Cascante has been uh like way better than I think a lot he's, of people expected so far. He's like he's he's played really, really well. And he's I mean, he's been a real uh highlight. I remember when we signed him, people were talking about like why would you give this amount of uh, gam, I think is what it was we paid for him given who he was. But I mean he's absolutely lived up to expectations. That seems to be something that the scouting, you know, Claudia on the scouting team just seemed to have really nailed. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, I think it was like $250,000 of GAM, which now seems like a deal. Like he's like, it's not a ton of money and we're not paying him a ton of money. And so, uh, yeah, I, I'd pay that much for him now because on the ball, he's been our best center back as far as like progressing the ball forward in useful ways, 100% better than the other two guys. Um, I think I wish we could kind of combine all three of our center backs into one person and they would be the perfect center back. But Romagna just like physically is much more capable than the other two. He's faster. His recovery speed is much better in like one-on-one kind of challenges. He can just muscle guys off the ball. He's still not um, as capable on the ball, like just with the ball at his feet and doesn't have the vision that Cascante does playing the ball forward. And so I think, but I think Cascante has done a lot better. Like we got nervous in preseason when, um, when Fafa Picol burned him in that preseason game, but he's done a really good job of just like staying in good positions to where he doesn't get burned like that. Like I don't, I can't really remember a time in the last handful of games when, uh, when Cascante has been just like beaten for pace. And like, that was the reason we, we gave up a goal or anything. So, uh, yeah, I think he's he's been really good. Um, and one one thing we didn't talk about was those. Like, Romagna had a couple a couple of big lumbering runs in the second half against Minnesota. Oh yeah, too, which I think <laughs> it spoke to how like wide open the end of that game was. But what I was gonna say is like, so maybe 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 Claudio knows what he's doing. You know, maybe I feel like we have these three center backs and they're kind of in the they're a good point in the career to have them, right? So Beasler can't play ninety minutes every match, but he's like a good leader. You know, could be a team captain. You know, so you hope that like makes sort of, really big plays still as well. Yeah, makes big plays. So you hope like as Beasler transitions out, it can play less. Like Romagna will get familiarity with the league and learn from the other guys and like fill back in, and we'll we'll be really solid at center back in a way that I don't think that we all expected to be going into the year. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Hopefully, hopefully that is the case, and he can learn a lot from those other two guys as as the season goes on. Uh, in the f- f- uh, stoppage time in the first half, there was kind of a goal psych out. Uh, Pochettino hit one from outside the box and it was just wide, but it like bounced off the, like the, what do you call the, like the board, like the ad boards behind the goal and rolled across the back of the net in a way that looked like it had gone in In the the net. net. Yeah. Yeah. And so at first I was like, no, he missed. And then like half the stadium started cheering and I was like, oh, maybe he did score. And, and like, no, 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 he didn't, he didn't score, but I, (laughs) Maybe we shouldn't talk about this on air, but I heard uh, I heard a rumor that somebody that we know thought it, that was a goal and like threw his beer in the air 
and then got asked to leave the supporter section because may have been, someone may have got been mad. The, yeah may have been the first austin <laughs> fc fan to be asked to leave you know it, 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 not counting the guy that ran on the field in the women's match but the first yeah. austin fc fan to ask to leave and I, you know what that is a guy that will wear that as a badge of honor. So I feel like that's <laughs> you, okay. You won't mind us saying on the show. I'm still not going to say his name, but <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. But yeah, I did too. I was like, I think I was fooled by it. Cause I was like, why are people not more excited around me? We just scored. And then I figured out it was just like the angle and the sort of the optics of it that, that looked yeah. wild. Uh, and then, yeah, halftime, then Columbus ended up making two changes at halftime. They brought in Marlon Hairston and Waylon Francis, um, Milton Valenzuela is their left back, and he's really dangerous getting forward, but uh, we were finding Stroud in behind him with great frequency. And then I think Valenzuela is also just coming back from injury. I think this may have been his first start either all season or since the very beginning of the season. And so they're probably going to limit his minutes anyway, but they end up pulling him out to try to limit Stroud on that side. Uh, Just after that, um, Stuver has a really big save. Uh, Zellerion gets the ball close to the top of the box and takes a shot. And the shot on its own, like uh, it wasn't at an angle or in a location that I don't think it would have been super dangerous, but it ends up deflecting off of Beasler and making it a really awkward save for Stuver. But Stuver is able to, to adjust and get to it just like he always has and seemingly always will, but, uh, comes up really big again in, in kind of a, a pretty difficult save there. Um, on the 60th minute, Kakuta Mane ends up coming in for Stroud. Like I said, Stroud didn't have a fantastic game. Uh, and then also, I think, I know Chris Wellhausen has been a person who's wanted to see Mane come on earlier in games. There's been a lot of games we're kind of holding on for our life and needed to, to defend really hard. I think in those situations, Mane is not the right choice. In this game, it was, we were controlling the game enough and in like keeping possession well enough that I think Mane was a good shout here. Um, we kind of needed some of that flair just to create something in the attacking third. I thought Mane was, was a good call there. I don't, he didn't necessarily create a ton of stuff. He, he opened up some chances just with pace and kind of getting out on a counterattack a couple of times and uh, played a few balls, like kind of to the back post to, to try to get headed back across that looked pretty good. But uh, overall didn't end up doing anything super effective. Then we got to see Danny Pereira come on in the 73rd minute. It was really great to see Danny back in the mix. He's, I think it's been four or five games now that he hasn't, hasn't played at all. Uh, and he, he actually looked pretty good when he came on as well. So when he came on for Gallagher, uh, and Fagundes ended up playing on the wing for a bit, which is the first time we've seen that. Um, then there's a couple more saves from Stuver. Uh, one big chance from Austin in the 84th minute, uh, Fagundes played Cecilio into the box and his first touch set up really well. And then he ended up slicing it over the top of the goal. Um, and I feel like Austin's chances were a lot like that. There was, I was looking at the like expected goals tally that MLS has on their stats page. And there are not many, high percentage shots. We took a lot of shots. I think we ended up with 17 shots, uh, five on target, but none of the shots had a very high XG score. And so um, I felt I was looking at kind of like my highlights for the game is like, I don't have many Austin shots written here, but it's because 
there weren't a ton of like really great high percentage shots that we took really. Um, towards the, the end of the game kind of opened up and turned into a little bit of a track meet where they would run at us and then we would run at them and they would run at us and we'd run at them in the, uh, 91st minute, there was a penalty shout where, um, Nagby was kind of dribbling around the top of the box and gets around several defenders and was running along the left side of the box ring comes and steps through him. And I, maybe he got the ball, the TV angle didn't show it well enough. And where I was sitting in the stadium, couldn't tell well enough. Did you, did you get to watch that replay again, Jeremiah? On I, that I, play? Didn't, I didn't watch the replay of that play. I, I didn't think among the red, among the, among the potential red cards we discussed tonight, it was not as much of a possible one as the Cecilio in Minnesota when like I, I mean it's just I didn't, I didn't feel like it was that it warranted. wasn't not a red I don't think it would have been a card I think it maybe should have been a penalty <laughs> yeah. I think probably Sorry, yeah, the, yeah, penalty, uh, yeah. the clear and obvious rule so like the ref didn't give a penalty on the field and so VAR isn't going to overturn it unless it's a clear and mm-hmm. obvious error I think it was gray in the like gray space enough that it wasn't clear and obvious. And I think that's probably what saved us from a penalty because on the replay, like maybe ring gets a toe to the ball, but he mostly just takes Nagby out there. And I think it very easily could have been a penalty. And did they go, did they go to VAR on that at all or no? I So they kind of paused. So I think VAR did look at it. Okay. They like kind of held the game up for a second. The, Based on what the announcers were saying on the TV broadcast, it seemed like they did hold up and look at it for a second, but didn't look very long. Uh, so apparently they were happy with what they saw and and went on. Um, after that, I think Beasler had one more big block on a Zardes shot, and then the whistle was blown shortly after that. Uh, but yeah, like we said before, an extremely exciting nil-nil draw. Um, Austin ended up with 57% possession which i think this is the first time in five or six games that we've really bossed possession like that right um expected goals was pretty even like around one a piece uh austin had 17 shots five on target and then columbus had 15 shots with six on target uh so lots of opportunities for both teams um kind of looking at performances i thought the entire back line for austin was was really, really good. And I think you could argue any of Austin's... I, I I think in the stadium, they gave Alex Ring man of the match. They did. Which, and I'll, I only know that because I saw him like with the... um, Like with a big... Like beating the big drum or what. But yeah, I was a little bit surprised that, that it was him. I mean, not that it was like he had a bad match, but I no, could see he had a, people, he had a, being, people taking that spot. I thought it was pretty good, yeah. And I, I think in most Austin FC games, it's like either Alex Ring or Brad Stuver deserves it. In this game, I think you could have given it to Stuver. I think you could have given it to Jimenez. I think you could have given it to Matt Beasler. Uh, Matt Beasler had some really important blocks and and some really important just like those snap moments where he just puts his foot in the right place at the exact right time to make to to block a chance. Uh, Jimenez, I think he ended, I I can't remember his, uh, his defensive numbers were really good. Something like four or five interceptions and, uh, four or five clearances and then playing the ball forward. He was really useful in, in possession and kind of creating those triangles on the, on the sideline there to kind of keep the ball moving. 
is is it blasphemous to think that Lima might be a more effective right back? Or sorry, that uh, Jimenez might be a more effective right back than Nick Lima. So I mean, I haven't seen enough of him to have that, of that opinion. Do you feel like he offers more? Like, is he more of a two way player? Or I, I think is Jimenez it, is much more effective going forward for sure. Yeah, um, that's what I was going to ask about because I know we talked about Lima um, going forward. I think last week you said, well, last week you said he finally took a shot that you were happy with him taking because you never wanted him to shoot again. But yeah, but yeah, so you feel you feel like you've got he's more of a threat going forward and back than than Lima. Yeah, and I think before this game I would have said like that that Lima was definitely a much better defender than Jimenez is and. Jimenez was excellent defensively in this game. He was very, very good. I think he's he's a like a a more slight player than Lima. Like Lima is a much more physical player, um, and so maybe in like certain situations against certain players, Lima would be a better defender. But in this game, Jimenez was was really, really good. Like uh, I remember a moment where uh, Vormgor, like one of Columbus's biggest players was in the box going after a corner and Jimenez kind of like muscled him out of the spot and won the header and he's not a big guy. And so doing stuff like that, as well as like pushing up the right side and like dribbling guys and just all around had a really excellent game. And yeah, like I said, the whole back line was, was really solid. Um, you want to talk about, let's talk about goals or the lack of goals and, and why that is. I think it's probably a topic that deserves some time. You know, Josh talked about, Again, this week, like he did on last week's show, players pushing too hard for a goal. Um, on the other hand, we see a lot of talk uh, on social and on Slack about people about players being too passive in the attack. So, are we are we not taking chances? Are we taking the wrong chances? Like, what's what's the answer for why we don't why we don't score more? Yeah, I think last night, like, epitomized like all of our problems. Like, very clear examples of like all of our problems, and I. Partially, I think it's a lack of quality in the final third. I think Stroud and Gallagher, as as many strengths as they both do have, I think they both lack kind of the either the skill or decision making or probably a combination of both of those things to be consistently dangerous in a game like that. They were both got in lots of space and really dangerous moments several times, and we never scored a goal. And so and Kevin Morris asked a question on Twitter as well along these same lines. And he said, I really want to know what you think about trailing runs from midfielders into the box. It feels as if a big part of why final balls aren't connecting is that movement inside and into the box is not good enough. A good striker solves half of that. So we were, we did a really great job of getting wide players, getting the ball to players out wide. But then there like half the time, it seems like, there would be a very predictable and hopeful ball into an empty box. They're just like, okay, there's two guys in there. I'm just going to hit it real hard into the box and hope somebody connects with it. Uh, and so I think there's a lot of times when that happened. And then in the the moments when we did kind of crash the box and we did have numbers in there, uh, they weren't making good decisions. I, we talked about that Jared Stroud moment earlier where he probably could, like if he could have played a brave it would have been a brave pass, but it was on. Like it was, it was a pass that was there to be made, and he chose not to do it and chose to shoot. And so I think it's, like I said before, he was either afraid to make the pass or he was being selfish and was taking a shot. And I think there's 
like in the moments when we do crash the box, we're making bad decisions and not executing. But a lot of times there's not anybody in the box and we're just kind of putting a hopeful ball in there and just like hoping it bounces off someone and goes in. Yeah, that's what I see. A, that's what I see a lot of. It's just like a lot of it. There's not, well, Kevin's question is talking about runs. There's just, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of trailing runs. There's a lot of trailing, like, jogging around or, like, yeah. or one on the outside, you know, but there's not, like, it's just, like, the attack is not aggressive at all, and I don't yeah, you, you understand see, why like, it's that way. The combination of a decisive run and an intentional pass connecting to that run, and we don't see that. Us, we don't see Austin doing that very often, and I think, I think Kevin's right. I think it's partly the runs like we're not getting good runs from people and like like you said a good striker solves that a good striker makes good runs and puts them there but i think that still asks the question are the guys in wide spaces good enough to put a ball on his head or on his foot when he makes that run and i think bringing a striker you get to move cecilio out wide and maybe he has a bit more quality to be able to do that kind of thing um but yeah, I, I I think a striker solves some of our problems, but doesn't necessarily solve all of them. I think it's fair. So let's go on to Rick's question. Rick uh, Bendis asks us, "Are we going to score ever?" So <laughs> 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 I said, "I don't. I I would never thought I would say this, but we need Danny Houston back." Yeah, I I don't know if I agree with the last part of the question there, Rick. But um, to answer the first part, are we going to score? Yes, I believe that one day. Austin FC is going to score. Uh, we're doing we're doing everything but scoring, right? Like, like I would say that game last night uh, against Columbus was we executed so many parts of the game really, really well, and it's just that final third that like decision making and quality in the final third was not there. So uh, I think just even just getting lucky, like we're we're if we keep creating that many chances and getting that many shots we're bound to score eventually, but also we've got some reinforcements coming hopefully pretty soon. And so maybe it takes new players to make these, these, uh, these goals start going in. Uh, but yes, Rick, I, I do believe we are going to score one day. <laughs> um, and luckily we have the transfer winning coming window coming up soon. Yeah. So let's talk about the transfer window coming up soon. So we'll officially open on the seventh. Yeah. I believe, I'd- but, but it doesn't I, mean that like deals can't happen before. Right. Yeah. It, I, I like for a while, I felt like the seventh was a long way away, but at this point we have two games between now and then we've got Portland and then uh, is it LAFC? Is that the one after that? Yeah. It's yeah. That was on the seventh, on the seventh. Yeah. And so, and then we have a, a kind of a break there. And so after that LAFC game, that's when these, these reinforcements are going to be coming. And so it's, it's very near. If we can keep guys healthy enough and play like we did against Columbus and just like hold on for these next couple of games, we're going to at the very least have more players on the, on the roster just to have enough numbers, to like play a healthy team each week. Yeah. And hopefully the players we have, will get a little bit healthier too. You know, I mean, you might, after that one, you expect to get Lima back. You might get, I feel like Schoenfeld's closest, right? Cause he's been training a little bit and then we add some players. We should be in a lot better shape. So let's, um, what do you want to talk about? So yeah, Chris asked, uh, Bill's asked Josh Wolf about urgency, uh, on the post game. And Josh said some, you know, nothing that was 
particularly new other than the fact that like we definitely cert- certainly a striker is what we need. And, you know, he also talked about being thin in the mid- midfield and then also talked about not making a knee jerk reaction to like what's going on right now with the injuries. But I feel like those two things, there's no knee jerk to that. Like those are known issues that have to be addressed that everybody knows that they need to do. Yeah, I think the the knee-jerk comment was regarding the midfield because we do have several midfielders who are just injured right now. And not several, but a few who are just injured right now. And so it would maybe be a little bit foolish to go out and sign a central midfielder at this point because when, like, say, Ulysses Segura comes back and Danny Pereira is fully fit, like, okay, now we have too many guys in this position. But yeah, signing a striker, he was like, there was a quote where Josh Wolf said, we need a striker. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, we need a striker. We could use some more quality on the in the attack. And so they've talked about, they haven't gotten specific. The only specific spot they've said is a striker. But um, I think they're, they've also mentioned like from the midfield and forward. So like attacking players. And I imagine... Partially, they don't want to give away like who all they're scouting and like show their hand too much. But also, I, they may just not know what position they're going to look at. They probably have some flexibility, just who's available, what deal they can get across the line, and then they'll make it work from there. Because the players we have now are have shown to be pretty positionally flexible and can kind of move around. And so if we get a guy that's good enough to come in that maybe isn't playing the exact spot we need, but is close enough to where you can kind of move some things around. It still probably improves the team. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, like as much as I love what Stroud and Gallagher have brought to the team so far, you know, we don't need both of them starting and playing almost every minute. Like you'd almost rather see them splitting a spot or them being two, two, two players out of a three player rotation, you know, in, in a spot in the attack to yeah. really make the most of it. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so Sean Rubio was on the Verde and Black podcast with Adrian Healy this week. Did you? What were your takeaways from that interview? Yeah, there are a couple big things. And that he wait, let's to- tell, tell listeners who Sean Rubio is oh, yeah. in case they didn't hear that. Exactly. Sorry. Sean Rubio, he is the director of player personnel for Austin FC, which basically means he's in charge of um, budgets and player acquisition. And obviously, Claudio is a big part of and the scouting department is a big part of like finding the personnel, but Sean's the guy that like makes sure all the numbers work and the guy right. that understands how the MLS salary cap works in a way that nobody else does. And you know, I think he talked about having a background background like fantasy baseball and like all these kind of really deep, like nerdy analytical things. But yeah, Which Sean it makes a lot of sense, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. He yeah, he yeah, he did. So yeah, he was on I mean, I think a couple things that we probably he he said the biggest things that fans don't really understand or appreciate is the complication of making any deal any deal happen particularly in mls so it's not like you can just be we want to go get player a and we just go do it right because you've got you've got the league you've got the cap you've got the team player a plays for you've got the agent of player a and just all the things that can come together and i think what he said is the only deals he's surprised by are the ones that actually happen that like adrian asked (laughs) about like tell me about a dramatic deal that fell apart and he's like actually i'm just surprised just amazed anytime any anyone actually goes through, which I think is instructive to uh, to that. Um, and then which he also I, I think to- is good for some fans to hear, right? Like, I think they think like, okay, we want this guy, just go pay the money and get him. And or like, we heard this rumor, and so like, 
it's definitely happening or, oh, it didn't happen. So that was a complete lie. It's like, no, maybe that one was trying to happen. But the truth is, if they're going to sign two or three guys, they probably have like they're they have like eight or ten balls in the air right now that they're juggling and trying to make happen. And only two or three of them are, are the ones that are actually going to close. Yeah, which we're, we're, we're going to break this rule. But I know one thing that you hate doing is talking about predicting exact scores. <laughs> and one thing and one thing I hate doing is like when people say like, we need a striker, let's go throw out like seven names of so the striker that's gonna fill the spot. And it's like because like we don't really know their situation, we don't know what their targets are. Like to me that like speculating on players, at least until there's been some kind of you know rumor or whatever, is like just a wasted effort. Especially in soccer. Like if you're an NBA team, there's only twenty some odd other NBA teams that you can go and scout from and then like a handful of guys abroad that you might bring in each year. But in soccer, you're you're pulling from a worldwide market from dozens of leagues that you could pull from. And so yeah, to to predict like these are the five guys that Austin FC should go after and like when really honestly, there's dozens of people who are going to fit the profile in the price range that they're going for. And so I agree, like I like who can like who should we expect to have? It's like Expect the unexpected. You're probably not going <laughs> to ever have heard of the guy. Yeah, oh, I t- yeah, I totally agree. So I don't, I don't love that part. And the other thing that he he mentioned was just because we don't have a fully formed academy, um, it it makes things complicated because you can't like in a stretch we 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 have right now with so many injuries. If we exactly, had a, if we had a you know of of a, a full academy, we could bring some like kids in for depth that might you, yeah you pull a 17 year old to to sit on the bench and just like be a warm body but we literally have no 17 year olds our oldest players are 15 right now yeah so that part was really that that part was really tough and that was i think something that we don't always um think a you know we still don't talk a lot about 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 how how much that affects the depth so this is probably the the two points that i really appreciated out of that interview that were relevant to it but i mean it was good like sean's he's personal he's an interesting guy and uh I would encourage folks to listen to it, but I think that those were the, probably the things that were most relevant to Austin FC's situation right now. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about some of the rumors that we have heard? Yeah. Now, now that we said, don't worry about individual <laughs> players, let's talk about a couple individual players. And I, I think at least one of these has been in the rumor mill for a while, and that's Vincent Jansen. Yeah. So 27-year-old striker from uh, Monterey. Uh, he is... Is is he Dutch? Where is he from? Dutch or Belgian? No, he's. I think he's Dutch because I thought. I thought that uh, I think I wrote this note in about whether we could touch trust another Dutch striker because I feel like it's like I don't need the second Danny Houston to uh, grace my roster. Yeah, you're right. He's Dutch. So yeah, it's yeah. Maybe we shouldn't trust him. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's at Monterey. He's uh, not getting. A ton of playing time. He played at uh, at Spurs, right? Yeah, yeah. He played at Spurs at one point. So I mean, he's got the you know he's got the pedigree. He's twenty seven, which is a pretty good age. I think. I don't remember which. I don't remember what we were we were doing. We were talking. We were speculating a little bit, and you said like look for strikers in Monterey, both from like Monterey and Tigres, who might not get enough time. That seems yeah, like a logical we, fit. We were linked with Akeloba from from Monterey as well. So Funes Mori is kind of like their guy there like their preferred number nine and uh Akeloba has since been linked to Nashville uh and then there's some loose rumors about Vincent Janssen 
connected to Austin again. So uh, we don't know how how real any of this is, but I think he would be a pretty good profile. I'd be I'd be happy with with him. I think he would be a very good striker in this league. Um, another rumor that came through, which this was from MLS News, which I think is a an Instagram account that is anonymous and like shared no sources or like how they know this, but also has a ton of followers and seems to have a decent track record. But they were not just saying like this might happen. They said Austin SC has signed this player. They're they're talking about like it was a done deal. Uh, his name is Sebastian Driussi. He is Argentinian, came from the, uh, it was the River Plate Academy, is that right? Yeah, and, and played for River Plate and was really successful, um, what, in thinking 2016, which is how he ended up going to um, Zenit St. Pete. Yeah, so he's uh, still currently at Zenit St. Petersburg. I think recently hasn't, uh, like, hasn't put up big numbers, but has had some really big seasons for Zenit. Uh, he, so he's... His main position is left wing. And that's like that's a position we don't really need more players at <laughs> right now, but it seems like he's pretty positionally flexible, can play in the middle, can play striker. Um and so just from what little highlights I've seen of him, I don't know that the profile completely fits what we need, but he does seem to have a really good skill set and one that Austin could use at this moment. Uh, if if this is the answer for a number nine, he doesn't seem to be like the killer striker that we need, like just that deadly goal scorer. But if it's going to be like this guy plus like a young money striker, I wouldn't be too upset about this. Uh, still, maybe the posi- like his strongest position being the same as our most expensive DP right now uh, gives me a little bit of concern. But he looks skillful enough to maybe we can make it work and it would be it would be fine. But. Uh, Arch Bell tweeted today that he had been in contact with Driussi's agent and his agent said that they have not received an offer from Austin FC. So um, who knows if if he's telling the truth or trying to hide something, but he did go on the record with Arch Bell saying that Austin FC has not put an offer for him. So maybe this is BS. So so could we have both these guys? Like would would if we had a Jansen and Driussi, would that be your... And then, do you, do you feel better about the attack if that's what we end up with doing? I mean, I think Absolutely. you have to buy down post. You have to buy down Pochettino, right? Because you'd have to. These guys would both be DPS. Correct. Yeah, Pochettino would need to be bought down with Tam and become a Tam player. That would open up a second DP spot, and then we could technically sign both of these guys. That would be very ambitious from Austin FC. I know there's a lot made of Austin being on the lower end of the of the spending. Uh, spending spectrum right now a lot of that has to do with we don't have that many players and so when you add up all the salaries it's not going to be very much but also with one dp spot if we added one reasonably priced dp we'd be in the top half of the league in spending if we added these two guys i i haven't done the numbers but i would guess it would very easily be top third if not like top five or six teams in spending in the league because I think the the rumor with Drewsy was five million would be the transfer fee, which is high for MLS. Not many teams have play, paid that much for very many players. And then Janssen, I don't know what the number would be there, but I'd imagine it would be similar in a a pretty high number as well. So 
that yeah that would be very ambitious i would be surprised if we got two guys of this kind of this level but yeah i'd be very happy if that happened well i don't so what else i think that pretty much covers the news for this week right you want to talk a little bit about portland yeah let's do a quick little uh portland preview for for our new mls fans tell tell them a little bit about portland I think the big thing is Portland in in many ways, right? And if, I don't know how many times you've been to Portland, but they all they every place sells like a keep Portland weird shirt. And so I think that Portland is very much a sister city to Austin, and I think that the Timbers franchise is a role model to Austin in many ways. You know, yeah, one so- the supporters, you know, the supporters uh Timbers army is a big part of that. Um, I think like pre-courts talk about the owner Merritt Paulson being like a, a a mentor of his and sort of role model of his. Yeah, I think he like got connected with him when he was buying into MLS and like kind of struck up a friendship and was kind of he was the guy he went to for advice essentially. Yes, yeah, so they they make the playoffs basically every year. Um, they won the MLS Cup in 2015. Uh, they were knocked out in the first round of the playoffs last season. Uh, I went back and looked at the preseason projections from MLSsoccer.com, and basically everybody picked them to finish top four. Um, they're a deep veteran team with a lot of big names. So uh, Valeri, Blanco, Chara, or Charas, both of them. Yeah. Um, and, and there's like a lot of big names. And I guess the big question is like whether those big names are are past it a little bit, because it's also an older franchise too, right? Because a lot of those guys are in their mid-30s now. Yeah, so and Blanco and Chara, uh, Diego Chara have been injured for a lot of the season. I think Blanco is just coming back, and Chara started the season and missed a few games with injury. Uh, but they've still they're seventh in the West right now, and so they've actually been performing pretty well without them. And so with those guys back, they could kind of go on a run here. But guys like Eric Williamson has stepped in and been carrying a lot of weight for that team. And so to have Eric Williamson. Instead of being your best player, if Eric Williamson is now the fourth best player on the team, that's a good team because Eric Williamson has been great this year. So, uh, yeah, it's still a, a good chance of of being a really good team uh, by the end of this season if they can get healthy and kind of keep their level up. Yeah, and they're one of those teams I think that typically a little bit like Seattle, although that's not the case this year. They kind of they kind of they're they know when to be good. Yeah, right? they're just always they, able to be good, even if they're not good all year. They have. They just have that pedigree, right? Like they just know how to do it. Yeah, they just find a way to make the playoffs, and they're dangerous in the playoffs. They've only they've only won the MLS Cup once, which is in 2015, which I was a little surprised by. I, fig- I thought naturally they would have, they would have done that that more than one time, but yeah, they're. I mean, they'll be dangerous. Um, do you what What do you know about their style of play? Uh, honestly, I haven't watched them a ton this year. I know in years past they've kind of like what Seattle is doing this year, like they like to kind of get out on the break and beat teams that way. But honestly, I haven't watched them enough this year to know exactly what their style is, but I, it is a team that historically and just like personnel wise is going to be like, we're going to need to be careful pushing up high on them because they can break on you. And like Jimmy Chara is very fast and can get up there. And then guys as, as deadly as Valerian Blanco, if you give them one chance, they're going to take it and they're going to, they're going to finish it and bury you. Like, yeah, you, you can't give them too many chances because they will end it right there. Yeah. They're just like sort of the epitome of like quality professional MLS side that are going to do all the, all the things right. Um, and just punish you for mistakes. It seems to be the way that they have played and will continue to play. 
All right. Anything else about Portland before we wrap up? No, I hope we see a goal. I'd really love to see the first <laughs> goal at Q2 um, at some point. I mean, from us. Actually, yeah. I, I was going to say I would take the first goal from either side, but I would really like no. to see the, see the first goal. I'd like to see the first goal from us. And after that, it'll be fine. Yeah. 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 For sure. All right. Before we wrap up, we'd like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you meet someone who's into soccer, meet someone at the game, meet the people who have the season tickets next to you, tell them about the show. It'll help us out a lot when we, and we'd really appreciate it. If you want to continue the conversation, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at LVAHero87. Jeremiah is at jbentley underscore ATX. And then you can find the Moon Tower accounts at Moon Tower Soccer, both on Twitter and Instagram. And yeah, come come find us. We love having those conversations. We'd also encourage you to visit the Striker Texas website. Uh, Jeremiah, do you have an article folks should, should should seek out? Well, I do, but I want to go back to like finding somebody and, and reviewing the podcast. This has been like super fun. Um, so I met uh, Jose from Oka Army New Braunfels. Oh, yeah. Just like in the beer line uh, on Saturday. And he like just gave me an Oak Army scarf, which is really cool. He was like, I love the podcast. It's like, I need a scarf. And he just like gave it to me. And it's like, that's that's a really fun thing to be able to like connect and do that. And so those guys are great. And, you know, they're they're making a big effort to like come up. Um, I think they were were they at fourth tap too, or they were they were at fourth tap. They weren't an Oscar Blues. They 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 went to fourth tap in pregame. But yeah, that's a good group of guys. And it's it's always fun to just like if you see us, like talk to us. Like it's we we love talking soccer to anybody and everybody, so that that's been good. But I think the article that I would recommend this week um, is one from Chris on the twenty eighth, which is today or yesterday, depending upon yesterday now when you listen to this. <laughs> um, sort of on the lack of goals and uh, what Austin can do to break the seal at Q two. Yeah, that's a good one. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening, everyone. We'll be back in one week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer, where we will cover the latest Austin FC news and then review that Portland match. And then we'll also preview the upcoming LAFC match also in Austin. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. No one is around.